Well, let's get started here because we've come to, uh, to gather tonight and to look into God's Word and then also hopefully to learn a little bit of science and a, a few other things. Let me introduce myself. First of all, this is the Jansen family. We have eight children, seven were boys. Isn't that incredible? But they're just about all married now and so the numbers have evened out. We have six grandchildren and we have three and three. Now there's another one coming so that'll break the tie in a couple of weeks here so that's good. A little bit about myself, I am a journeyman electrician by trade. I did that for 11 years and I worked for a company you know about called TELUS. Back then it was BC Tell, and then I did software design engineering for them and all kinds of good things. Then I went back to university and I taught for 25 years in the school system and I taught mostly maths and sciences and physics and all those good things. I have been actually with CMI now on speaking for seven years and Vancouver Island, in honesty, is one of my favorite places to come to because we vacation here a lot as well, and so this is really neat. Uh, my colleague actually spoke in this church apparently about five years ago, Thomas Bailey, and Thomas is very important to me because he is my event planner, and he decides to all the churches I go, so I have to be really nice to him so he doesn't put me in really weird places. Anyways, uh, Creation Ministries International, we're an apologetics ministry, which means we believe and we teach the inerrant word of God right from the very first verse. We have offices in seven countries around the world, and our ministry now reaches into 100 countries, and our information is currently being translated into 40 different languages. So truly an international organization. And our website is very easy to remember. It is creation.com, and on the website there are more than 15,000 different articles and video clips, and it's all for free. And there's, it's actually the largest data bank in the world on creation information. I really encourage you to check it out. Well, tonight I'm going to be giving two presentations. A question of origins is the first one, and then we'll take a little break, and then I'll do uh, a talk on dinosaurs, followed immediately by some question and answer. We'll see how far that goes. So a question of origins then is a analysis of creation and evolution. So where did we come from? What we're really examining here is a comparison of two very different worldviews, creation and evolution. Now as creationists we believe there was a master designer, that is God. Evolution of course has no designer. In creation we believe there's divine purpose. Evolution of course has no purpose. Creation has infinite intelligence behind it. Evolution has no intelligence behind it. Creation, absolute order. Evolution, no order. Random chaos. And of course, most importantly, we have eternal hope. Colossians 1.27. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you're following the pattern here, what does evolution have? No hope. You're born, you live, and you die. So... With this as our starting point, let's see how this unfolds for us tonight. Imagine you're lying on the floor and you're slightly unconscious and then you roll over and you see this. And that's not very good and it comes back to you, that's what happened. And so you call this guy up and he spends a few minutes looking at your situation and then he says, sorry, I can't help you. And you're thinking, well, why not? And then you notice he's got this bright red toolbox and you say, hey, buddy, use your toolbox. And he says, well, that's the problem. My toolbox is empty, and I don't know what to do. And you're thinking, well, that's great. How can you fix my electrical problems if you have no tools? 
Let's take this simple toolbox analogy now to another level. These are some of the questions that people are asking today. You know, if there is a loving God, then why is there evil and suffering in the world? Or, well, how do you explain there is no death before sin? Or, where did dinosaurs fit in the Bible? That's my second talk. We'll have a look at that one. How was the Grand Canyon formed? That's a good question. And maybe this is the most important one. Why is it so important that the earth was created in only six days and not over millions of years? Well, these are really important questions and they're going to need some solid answers. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go to our allegorical creation knowledge toolbox for the answer. Back in the early 1990s, this was my toolbox. It was really quite empty. I didn't have a lot of good answers. And I had to ask myself an important question. How am I going to answer all these questions? Because folks, here it is. You can't teach what you don't know. Think about that. Well, what are we going to do? Tonight, let's start by building a solid theological foundation. And that foundation begins in the book of Genesis because Genesis sets the scene then for the big picture for the Bible. And we all know this, the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. But there's actually much more than that. Because many doctrines of Christianity are actually established in the book of Genesis. The doctrine of God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that man is made in God's image, not that of a monkey, original sin, salvation, and a holy marriage. And so the book of Genesis is actually very critical because these doctrines are at the very foundation of our Christianity. Let me give you an illustration of this. You may be familiar with this building. It's in Shanghai, China, and it's very famous, but for all the wrong reasons. Because one day the whole building just fell over. Well, why is that? Well, because it had no foundation. Now, I'm not a structural engineer, but I can say having a couple of tubes in the dirt is not a solid foundation for such a large building, is it? And so it is with our faith. Do we believe in the absolute authority of the Word of God to build the solid foundation? Do we fully understand the message of the gospel? 2 Timothy says that all scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Titus says there's a God and he can't lie. So we come then to the book of Exodus where we see the Ten Commandments. And we know where they are there. Did you know that in the middle of the Ten Commandments, found right there in verse 11, for in six days God made the heavens and the earth. I think that God is actually grieved when people don't believe what is written explicitly right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Now maybe this evening you're just saying, you know, is this really so important? I mean, come on, Clarence, in all honesty, is uncompromising biblical foundation really so important? Isn't just knowing and loving God enough? Does believing in evolution in millions of years really change the gospel message? Well, here's a very sobering thought. The Barner Research Group several years ago found out that on average, 70% of our young people are leaving the church within four years after graduating from high school. So the question is, well, why are they leaving? I think there's at least four reasons. Number one, the church and Christianity today are under severe attack. We see that all the time. The authority of Scripture and the teaching of creation is now being rejected. The overall moral and cultural decay of our society, and of course the rise of atheism, that is the God, and then the rejection of God as the creator. Well, what then is the end result of atheism? Well, here it is. 
if there is no God and then there's no accountability and now we get to decide what is right and wrong. What does this look like then when we compare creation versus evolution? Well, creation is based on the word of God. This is God's truth recorded in the scripture. Evolution, however, is based on the word of man. This is man's truth that he has made up. If we don't understand this first foundational principle, then all the rest of our theological foundations are going to quickly erode away until we have no foundation. So tonight I want to look at a few of the critical foundations of Christianity. We're going to see what does the word of man say, and what does the word of God say, and then we'll come up with some conclusions. So let's start at the very beginning, the origin of the cosmos. Well, from a secular, atheistic, evolutionary worldview, they say that we started out from nothing. Now, I didn't know how to draw nothing, but that little dot right there is going to represent nothing. And then apparently, 13.8 billion years ago, there was this cosmic Big Bang, and all this nothing eventually turned into everything. Isn't that amazing? And in this atheistic account, the stars evolved billions of years before the Earth came into being. What does the Bible say? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And in the biblical account, the earth was created before the stars, and in fact, we're only three days apart in age. So let's compare these two different accounts. One says billions of years, the other one says three days, and the order is reversed. So one of these must be wrong. Is it possible that the word of God is so far off on the timing and can't even get the order straight. Because if that's the situation, it begs a very important question. If Genesis is not true, then what else in Scripture is not true? Number two, the origin of humans. Where did we come from? Well, on an evolutionary timeline, they teach that this is the beginning of time, is the Big Bang, and there's the present. And on this timeline, man appears about 300,000 years ago on the timeline. Now, if billions of years are true, then man appears near the end of the timeline. What does the Bible say? These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said to them, but from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. From one man, he made every nation of mankind. So how do these two verses then compare to what we're going to call a biblical creation timeline? Again, here's the beginning, time zero, and here's the present. So on this timeline, did man come in here? No. The Bible says very clearly that man was created on day six of the creation. And if we add up all those carefully recorded genealogies, in Genesis chapter 5 and Luke chapter 3, at very best they're going to add up to thousands of years, but certainly not millions and billions of years, even if one or two of the old guys is missed in the genealogies. And you'll notice that this timeline is in agreement with the words of Jesus that we read in Mark chapter 10, that man was created at the beginning of the creation. Number three, the origin of plants and animals. Now, evolutionists say all these perfectly formed atoms came from nothing. Folks, I don't know if you know this, but atoms are very complicated little things. Did you know that atoms are made up of 17 subatomic particles themselves? And then according to the theory of evolution, apparently 80 billion 
unintelligent random atoms had to organize themselves, and then miraculously they went from being non-living to living, and they had to have self-repairing and self-replicating capabilities already pre-built in. And it takes 80 billion random atoms to make one bacteria. And then this bacteria miraculously over millions and billions of years and mutations then formed into every living creature that we see here on earth. And this is what's being taught as a fact today in our school system. I'd like to take one minute and I'll show you a chart that completely refutes this whole idea. In order for a microbe to become a man, you have to do something. You have to gain meaningful genetic information. So a bacteria has about 100 pages of genetic information. Do you know how much it takes to make one of these? About a 1,000 encyclopedias worth. Now here's the problem. Mutations result in a loss of meaningful genetic information and not a gain. What does the Bible say? We read in Genesis 1, and God made the beasts of the earth after their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So what are the key words here for God's created things? Well, those are called the kinds. What does this look like? Well, this is God's created orchard. We've got the dog kind, monkey kind, bird kind, and so on. And from the common kind and through genetic variation, not evolution, we have all the different types of species that we see today. And notice there's no jumping between kinds. Dogs cannot become pigs. Why not? Because they don't have the genetic information to become a pig. In fact, the original dog kind was probably something like our modern-day wolf population. And through genetic variation and even selective breeding, you can everything from the ferocious Chihuahua all the way up to the Great Dane. But they're all still what? Dogs. They can only be dogs because that's the only genetic information that they have. Now, as a contrast, this is what's being taught in the schools. The evolution of the chicken. According to Scientific America and these folks, apparently chickens evolved from Tyrannosaurus rex. This is what's being taught. I'm serious. Now, I'd like to ask this question. Is it possible to mutate from a 14-foot-tall, 20-foot-long, cold-blooded reptile down to a 1-foot-small, warm-blooded avian chicken? We also have a very serious sizing problem here. Either that is a 4-foot T-Rex or that is a 7-foot chicken, and going to Costco for a rotisserie chicken for dinner takes on a whole new meaning, right? 30 days of leftovers. There you go. All right. This one is very important, the origin of sin and death. If someone says, well, what difference does it make if the world is millions and billions of years old? It doesn't affect the Bible. Start with this question. When did sin enter into the world? When did sin enter the world? Romans 5 clearly says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all of us have sinned. Well, why did death enter the world? Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin is death. So, Scripture is very clear here that death came into the world when sin came in the world, and it came in through Adam, because his name is mentioned in Romans 5 verse 14. What then is biblical life and death? 
Most folks don't understand this. So, most people would consider things like grass and potatoes to be living. But I'm going to call them biological life. What does the Bible say you need to have life? You need two things. First of all, you need blood. And the second thing you need is breath. So, very important. Living creatures have blood and breath. That means that only living creatures, sheep, dinosaurs, and human beings, only they can experience death and not plants. Why? Because they have blood and the breath of life. And so if grass and potatoes are eaten before original sin, it's not biblical death. It's just simply eating grass and potatoes. Let's take this now to another level. The fossil record. People all over the world have found animal and human fossils, and what we really see is death and suffering found in the fossil record, and apparently it's been taught today that the fossil record is millions and billions of years old. So, given the biblical account of creation in Genesis, where does the fossil record and that death and suffering and millions and billions of years fit in? Well, some people want to put it before day one of the creation or between verse 1 and verse 2. But that's not what the Bible says. It says after the first day it was good. How can death and suffering be good? That's terrible. Well, maybe we could put it somewhere between days 2 to 6. No, after each of these days, God said it was good. Twice, actually, on day 3. Well, maybe we could put it after day 6. No, after day 6, God said the whole creation was very good. So it's only after the fall of man, original sin, that death, disease, and the fossil record fits in. I very gracious would like to ask you, well then where do millions and billions of years fit in the scripture? Absolutely nowhere. What would the Garden of Eden actually look like if there was death and sin before Adam's original sin? Why the Garden of Eden be sitting on piles of dead things? And we see in the false record death, suffering, and diseases like cancer and osteoporosis. If that's very good, I don't even know them what would be considered to be very bad. But here's the important point. You simply cannot have evolution without that death and suffering and millions of years, period. So tonight, I want you to consider the following. If you accept and understand evolution in millions of years, then you're going to have to accept that it was death and suffering that led to man. However, if you teach your children creation and original sin, then you can teach them that it was man's sin that led to death. And do you see how those two things are critically reversed? In fact, if there was no historical Adam or original sin, then why did Christ have to die for our sins? Because that cuts to the very core of our Christianity. Here's a summation of what we've been talking about here. I want you to see on how the three corners of the diagram there, the triangle, are dependent on each other. Folks, this is, this is my side. If you, this is my takeaway. If you get nothing else of what I share tonight, I want you to see on how critically important this is. If we take a literal biblical six-day creation and add to it evolution and or millions of years, 
This is exactly what happens. It means that there was no historical Adam, which means that sin did not enter in the world through one man, which makes the Apostle Paul a liar, which means there is no original sin. If this is the situation, then that means that Jesus Christ cannot be our kinsman redeemer. What's that? The kinsman redeemer has to be connected through the bloodline to the person who committed the original sin. And that is clearly recorded in Luke chapter 3. Right from Jesus all the way back to Adam. If that is not there, then Jesus Christ cannot be our kinsman redeemer. If Jesus is not the kinsman redeemer to redeem us from our sin, then there is no atonement for our sins, which means there is no gospel message. Folks, that is very bad news. And we are most to be what? Pitied. Why? Because we have no hope. Can I share some good news with you tonight? That would be nice. Not only was there, but there has to be a literal biblical six-day creation. Because there has to be a historical Adam. Sin did enter in through one man, and there was original sin. If this is now the situation, then Jesus Christ can be our what? Kinsman Redeemer. Which means there is atonement for sin, and now there actually is a gospel message. And we live in a society today that desperately needs to hear the message of the gospel. Amen? Do you see that if we add millions of years and evolution to the Bible, that there is no gospel message? Folks, if the foundation of the gospel is gone, then all the rest of the Bible is just going to crumble away until we have absolutely nothing. Well, let's switch gears for a few minutes now. I want to teach you a couple of terms and some examples. Here we go. The first term I'd like you to learn is called uniformitarianism. It's a big word. It simply means this. The present is the key to the past. So in other words, how we see mechanisms happening today, the assumption is it was always exactly the same in the past. Here's a little example. There it is, folks. Downtown Yarrow. That's where Elaine and I live. There, that's where we live, right on Yarrow Central. Isn't that amazing? Now this picture was taken at 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. If you come to Yarrow between about October to May, that's about how busy it is. But if you come to Yarrow in the summertime, woo-wee, it's busy. That's an exaggeration. Do you know what you have to do to get through Yarrow to go to where? Cultus Lake, the biggest water slides in Western Canada. And to go to the lake and to the golf courses and all the campgrounds. And so by looking at the rate of traffic in downtown Yarrow, you can't tell whether we're sleeping and boring people or is it crazy busy because it's constantly changing throughout the year. And so it is with geological formations. Let's go down to the Grand Canyon in Arizona. What do we have here? We have this massive canyon and we have the Colorado River flowing at the bottom of the canyon. So... Well, I don't know. I haven't heard that, but that wouldn't surprise me because as soon as something contradicts what the academia and what 
the worldview is, then we just shut it down. We've been experiencing that for probably the last couple of years. Okay, I'm not going to go down that road. So what we see here is this. At today's rate of erosion, and according to uniformitarianism, it's going to take the Colorado River millions of years to form out that big canyon. See, the assumption is the rate of erosion today is the same as it was in the past. But something very important happened just next door in Washington State, and there's enough people that are old enough, something blew up. What was it? Mount St. Helens, there you go, blew up. Spewed out millions of tons of rock and ash and all kinds of stuff and buried 65 square kilometers around the mountain. And then over the next months, there was other eruptions of pyroclastic flow and gases, and it built up these rock layers. Then on March 19th, 1982, so about two years later, something very important happened. You see, there was a lake that was formed from this original eruption, and it breached the dam, and all of this rock and mud and dirt and water and logs came crushing down and wiped out a whole section right beside Mount St. Helens. And what did it form? It formed the Little Grand Canyon of Washington. And we can see at the bottom of the canyon the Toodle River. And this is a 100-foot solid rock canyon wall. Now, let's have a look at those close-up layers, those middle layers there, which have hundreds and thousands of layers of sedimentation. Now, if someone wasn't there, they would probably say, well, you know what? It's going to take millions of years for this to happen. But it didn't. That whole middle section of thousands of layers was deposited in only three hours, not millions of years, and that whole canyon was carved out in only one day. And it's the same thing with the rate of erosion. If someone wasn't actually there to record this event, it might appear that it's going to take millions of years for the Toodle River to carve out the canyon. But that's not the case. It was not the mighty Toodle River that formed the canyon. It was the canyon that formed the river. And so today when it rains, the rain comes down the side of the rock walls, and that's what actually forms the Toodle River. Do you see any similarities? Is it possible that maybe the Grand Canyon was not formed by uniformitarian mechanisms of slow erosion? Is it possible that in a catastrophic worldwide flood recorded in Genesis chapter 6, millions of creatures are trapped in the sediments, they then fossilize, and then sometime later, there is this cataclysmic water and mud flow that occurs from the global flood runoff. Huge sections of the Grand Canyon are wiped out, and the only evidence that we see today is simply the Colorado River flowing at the bottom of the canyon. The second, second thing we want to bring in is science and religion. So science is based on experiments, observation, and most importantly, it has to be repeatable in a lab. That's called operational science. Let's bring in religion. It's an organized system of belief based on your faith. So tonight, let's put evolution to the test. Is evolution actually operational science? Because those words are always intermixed. Science and evolution are equal. Let's see what happens. Operational science is done in the present. Evolution occurred apparently millions of years ago in the past. Operational science has to be repeatable in a lab. No disrespect, but has anybody recently seen ape-like creatures turning into human-like creatures? And can that process be repeated over and over and over again in a scientific way in a lab? 
it is indeed non-repeatable. Operational science also has to be observable and somebody has to be there to record it. The millions of years ago of evolution are non-observable. And so as a result, the only plausible conclusion is that evolution is actually not operational science. Why? Because it's not observable and cannot be tested and repeated in a lab. Now this is Dr. Michael Roos. He's actually very much an anti-creationist, but he said this several years ago. He said, folks, look at this. Evolution is a religion. Why? Because both creation and evolution are based on your faith. Both are based on interpretations of the evidence based on a different set of presuppositionary worldviews. And that is critically important. So this is what's happened in about the last 200 years. The Word of God used to be authoritative. But through the rise in the teaching of evolution and the rise of atheism, there is no God as a consequence, this is what's happened today. These two things have actually switched. I very graciously would like to ask you, are we still trusting in the Word of God or are we slipping more and more to trust in the Word of man? If you have, I would like to offer you this very gentle exhortation. Guard what's been entrusted to you. Avoid that worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of those falsely called knowledge which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Here's an example of this. This is Charles Templeton. He used to preach the gospel with Dr. Billy Graham at crusades all over the world. But something very sad happened because Charles Templeton attended Princeton Theological Seminary and they had added millions and billions of years in evolution to their Old Testament courses as being a fact. And it was not long after that that Charles Templeton not only walked away from Billy Graham, he walked away completely from Christianity. And before he passed away, he wrote this book, Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. These are his conclusions. I believe that there's no supreme being with human attributes, no God in the biblical sense, but that all of life is the result of timeless evolutionary forces over millions of years. I believe that in common with all living creatures, we die and cease to exist as an entity. Folks, I trust tonight that you see that we need to build a solid biblical creation foundation. And would it be our prayer that God would protect not only our young people, but our little children, of course, those generations not yet born, from sliding down this slope which leads eventually to atheism. I trust that would be your prayer tonight. Well, let's take a few minutes and let's have a look at a few of the evidences for creation. I'm going to share with you just a few of these allegorical tools in your toolbox and we'll see how far we get here. The first one I want to share with you is called the creation hyperbola. It's the relationship of intelligence versus time, and we follow it on the red line. Now, as creationists, we believe that God has infinite intelligence. If God has infinite intelligence because he is all-knowing, he is omniscient, then therefore it would take him actually zero time or a fraction of a time to create everything. That is what creation is. He chose specifically six days to do it in because that becomes a model for our work week. However, in evolution, 
there is no God, which means there absolutely is no intelligence. If there is no intelligence, how long does it take to make the creation? Infinity. There is, it, is, it is infinite. You can go on for an infinite amount of time and you will never end up with anything that is of intelligence. Absolutely critical. Number two, polystrate fossils. Two examples here. The one on the right-hand side is from the Cumberland Basin in Nova Scotia. What do we have here? We have a fossilized tree trunk sitting in thousands of layers of sedimentary rock. Is it possible for a tree to stand there for thousands of years or millions of years while the sediment builds up? Of course not. It's going to fall over and die. What is this an example of? This is an example of a global flood. Rapid burial and fast fossilization. Now the important thing is this, is they have found hundreds of these polystrate fossils all over the world and they're all standing straight up and down in sedimentary rock, which means that the flood was a global event. How about ancient animals that maybe turn out to be not so ancient? In 61, some bones were discovered in Alaska and they turned out to be this particular creature. Now, here's the problem. Some of the bones that they found were actually still raw. And that's a problem because they were not found frozen in the ground and they turned out to be not turned into stone yet. That's a very difficult thing because dinosaur bones don't come with these lovely little red tags that tell us how old they are. And unprotected, unfossilized bones will not last for millions of years. And according to the evolutionary timetable, these particular animals died out 80 million years ago. That's not possible if their raw bone is still around. In the second talk, I'm gonna show you a lot of evidence of dinosaurs coexisting with man. Well, let's have a look at the fossilization process. According to the folks at Learn Biology, and in your kids' textbooks, when a fish dies, it goes clunk to the bottom, and then over long periods of time, hundreds, thousands, millions of years, eventually it fossilizes. But is this really what happens? Of course not. When a fish dies, he floats belly up. Then the birds come along, peck their eyeballs out, and everybody else comes and chews on these things, and then they all fall apart. So the problem is, well, how did any fish ever become fossilized? And all of these little buddies, perfectly together like that, all at the same time. Much more credible explanation. A fish is swimming along in the ocean, and then during the global flood, the deep ocean trenches are lifted up, Genesis 7:11 causes a tremendous amount of turbidity, and then the sediments come, and they completely boop, bury this guy. Nobody can chew on him, and then he can fossilize. Now, maybe you're saying, wow, that's incredible. Is there any evidence for rapid burial and fast fossilization of things that we see today? How about this? How about a fossilized pickle? How about a fossilized foot still inside the cowboy boot? That's not millions of years old. It doesn't take millions of years. It simply takes the right conditions. How about this? A fish eating another fish. That has to be a rapid burial and fast fossilization. You see, it's taught today in the school system that fossilization takes millions of years. It doesn't. It's a very quick process. All right, let's have a look at the last one, irreducible complexity. It's my favorite. 
we look at a mousetrap, it's got five quarts. Platform, spring, hold down bar, the hammer that does the deed, if you know what I'm talking about, and of course the catch. That's where you put your peanut butter, your cheese. Now how many parts to make a mousetrap? Five. Take any one of those parts away, and what happens to the mousetrap? It doesn't work anymore. Let's take this mousetrap analogy now to biology. This is the simplest living organism on Earth. It's the mycoplasma bacteria. It has 475 genes. Oh dear, what are genes? Well, genes provide the coding to make the parts for the bacteria. So a gene is like a part, if you wish. And it's been determined that 382 of these genes are critical. If one of these genes is missing, then the bacteria doesn't exist anymore. What was it for the mousetrap? One out of five, this is one out of 382. I'm now going to show you the most mind-boggling diagram you've ever seen in your life. I can say that because this is because my chemistry. Here it is, there it is, right there. Folks, these are all the bits and pieces, all the molecules required for that simple microscopic bacteria to turn its food into energy. Let's zoom in a little bit. Look at the, look how complicated these sugars, look at this stuff. Look how unbelievably complex this is. And this comes about by random evolutionary chance? That's simply not possible. Well, I didn't discover it. It's in, it's in textbooks everywhere because I taught biochemistry for 25 years. Now, here's the problem. Are human beings a little more complicated than a single-celled bacteria? You see, this kind of evidence leads us to know that there must be an all-powerful, all-knowing creator God who knows that all of these bits and pieces all have to be there and created and working at the same time. Otherwise, the bacteria then doesn't exist. Are we more complicated than a single cell? Indeed, we are. In today's secular teaching has become so ingrained in our young people through the textbooks and the media and advertising that what's happened? That the seeds of doubt about a literal biblical six-day creation and a global flood are deeply planted into their heads and then when they get out of school, they jet away from the church. We need to do something about that. Well, what's my story? That's the cover of the very first creation magazine that I got more than 25 years ago. I read that magazine and I was hooked. And so I got a subscription to the creation magazine. And remember at the very beginning I said, how am I going to answer all of these questions? I was a teacher. I, didn't, I couldn't answer all the questions. Those are the actual covers of the creation magazine over those 25 years. Do you see that what I was doing? As I was reading the creation magazine on a regular basis, I was adding tools to my allegorical toolbox. I was equipping myself. And so when my students and my colleagues were asking me some very difficult questions, I could direct them to where I, I either knew the answer or I could give them the answer. We would look it up on the creation.com website. This is critically important. Now, folks, when it comes to a question of origins, are we going to believe in creation or are we believing in evolution? Creation, we believe and put our trust in the inerrant word of God. Evolution has put its trust in the word 
of man. Creation, we believe, it started with absolute order. Evolution comes about by random evolutionary chance. In creation, it is critical that we understand that death came after sin. Evolution, however, has to have death before original sin. Creation, we teach the creation orchard. God's created kinds. Evolution, of course, change in organisms. That chickens can evolve eventually from Tyrannosaurus rex. And most importantly, we have eternal hope. Again, Colossians 1.27, what is it? It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. What does evolution have? No hope. You're born, you live, and you die, and that is incredibly sad. So now I want to ask you the incredible hard question, folks, and here it is. What is in your allegorical toolbox today? I want you to look inside your toolbox right now. What's inside there? You ready with answers? Can you answer these questions? If you can't answer these questions, then our young people are going to ask you, and if you can't answer them, they're going to walk away, they'll go somewhere else, and those people would be delighted to share an answer with them. But I can probably guarantee you it's not biblical. So what are we going to do? How are we going to get equipped? We're just going to come to Mr. Jansen's talk tonight and go, yeah, well, big deal. No, we've got to do something about this. We've got to get equipped. My recommendation is we start with creation.com website. 15,000 different articles and video clips. It's all free. You can go on there and you can ask us any question you want, and I guarantee you, you'll find tons of different information on there. To end this particular presentation, I'd like to share with you an exhortation from 2 Timothy. For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will wander off into myths. Is this not the society that we're living in today? People have wandered off and they're believing all kinds of things which are absolutely not biblical. Instead, I'd like to share this. Your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Amen? Amen. Amen.